This episode of Job Shadowing HE is kindly sponsored by Anderson Quigley. Anderson Quigley builds better leaders for a better society. They are industry experts with decades of experience in public sector executive search, interim management and advisory. Driven by their core values, integrity, diversity and hands-on project ownership, they bring their expertise to bear for organisations that focus on society and social development, delivering leadership recruitment in higher education, schools, healthcare, charities, social care, housing, cultural organisations, the arts and government. Susanna Marsden and welcome to Job Shadowing HE, the podcast that delves into the roles of people working in higher education. Each episode hears from guests about what's involved in their role, the career path that led to it and tips on how to get in and get on in these jobs. Today's episode has two guests, Julie Kelly, Academic Registrar at the University of Hertfordshire and Leslie O'Keefe, who's Registrar at Brunel University. Both Julie and Leslie are also members of the Executive Committee of the National Academic Registrar's Council, the body that's the voice of the profession in the higher education sector. The Academic Registrar has a pivotal place in helping an HEI to run well, but its exact remit and the career pathway into the role can vary significantly. Leslie and Julie will tell us more. Julie, Leslie, welcome to Job Shadowing HE. Thanks very much for joining me today. Let's start our conversation with the relationship between the role of the academic registrar and the student path through university. At the most basic level, a student applies, registers, goes to classes and, all being well, get the qualification they hoped for. But what actually sits behind that path is quite a complex web of activities that need to work well. Leslie, can you tell us more about the role the academic registrar takes in weaving that web together? Yes, of course. Thanks, Susanna. Thanks for having us on today. Um, For the majority of students, it is exactly as you would say. Um, So a student comes, they study, they have a great time and they leave. Uh, But we still do have to store all of that student record information. We need to track their progress. We need to provide any support that we might need. And we need to help them if things go wrong. So our our areas and our teams would tie all of that together and keep the records in place of all that data for our students. And then, of course, as an academic registrar, we couldn't not talk about rules and regulations. That's our bread and butter. That's what we love. And so we're responsible for most of those regulations. And we make sure that students are treated fairly and consistently and our rules are applied in in a consistent way for everybody. And that would range from our award algorithms all the way through to how we might charge their fees and how we might put in place reasonable adjustments for individuals. So both of you have that core academic registrar function that Leslie's just described. But from what I've seen in your LinkedIn profiles, there are some variations or extras in the broader scope of what each of you do. And those differences are quite common in academic registrar roles across the sector. Can you tell us a bit more, Julie, about how that works? 
Um, I think it's really interesting to see the differences across the sector. Um, there are a lot of academic registrars, but not every university has one. Sometimes they're called Director of Student um, and Academic Services or Director of Registry Services, but we, we roughly do the same job. Um, I don't think that necessarily matters from a sort of career point of view, because I think most people in the sector would recognise that those different roles are equivalency uh, to an academic registrar. Um, but yeah, it is it is very um, it's interesting how um, even as a, a when you have the title of academic registrar, um, you don't necessarily have the same portfolio of teams or activities. At the heart, we, yet yeah, we manage the student record, but there are some significant differences. So, for example, at um, University of Hertfordshire, the academic registry is centralised or school-based student administration, so that now all student record administration now takes place in one team within registry. Um, I also used to manage admissions, and again. This is one of those things where some universities have admissions in, in registry, some don't. Um, it, we used to have it in academic registry, but registry was becoming too big um, um, following the restructure. So, um, so now uh, they, they actually sit within our marketing teams. Um, and even after having moved admissions out, um, registry is now sitting at around 375 colleagues. Um, so it's really quite a, a large team. Plus, we have a small army of seasonal workers um, that help with you know, graduation, registration, etc. Um, so it seems like no two portfolios are the same. Um, but I'm not sure there's any sort of real strategic decision around, um, you know, sort of across the sector. I think it just it's what makes sense for the institution um, and the circumstances they, they find themselves in. And Leslie, what are the differences or extras in your role? So my actual job title is registrar um, and I have a, a, a slightly different remit to Julie. So the things which are noticeably different is I've got the library and the academic skills service within my remit. And also I've got the student services team, which is uh, providing uh, the disability and mental health support uh, for all of our students. But I don't have the college administration um, that Julie has just talked about. So our, although our teams are... Um, of different sizes, mine has got more functions within it, but less people. So Leslie, you've been in your registrar role at Brunel for just over three years, and you've worked in HE for nearly all of your 20 year career so far. What originally motivated you to work in the sector and what's continued to motivate you through your career to date? And well, I'm not sure there's many people who, um, as a child, think this is the job that they're going to do. Although my mother does tell me, apparently, I said I wanted to be a registrar, but I can't argue with her. I don't remember. Uh, I actually fell into university administration by accident. I suppose many of our colleagues would say a similar thing. Uh, but all the way back when I was a student, I started in um, one of my summer holidays working as a cleaner in one of the halls of residence. And it was only a couple of weeks before I probably asked too many questions and they got me in the office to help with the organisation organisation and I just loved it I just really liked from the very beginning realising what was behind the scenes uh, in the university uh, so after I graduated um, I spent uh, 12 months we won't talk about working in a hotel uh, and then I got a job working at Swansea University and that was the start of my HE career I, I was a residence manager at the age of 24 uh, and that was one sure way to have my eyes open to the real world of work that's for sure uh, I really liked facilities management I like that being involved in the student life but 
having worked in residences for I think it was nearly 10 years there's only so many noise reports and block toilets that you can uh, be that interested in but what I did realise is I really enjoyed doing the rule map adaptations for students with disabilities and I really enjoyed some of the interpersonal things where students in the flats weren't getting on so I think I, from that I realised that maybe there was a world for me in student services so while I was working at Brunel, um, I've been really fortunate and I've had seven different jobs working at Brunel. And it was at Brunel that I made that transition from residences over into student services. And it was around the same time that I was doing the PG Cert in Higher Education Administration that is run then by the AUA, now it's called AHEP. And that was when I first started working out how things link together in universities and how it was all, um, there was a reason for some of the crazy things that we felt we were doing in isolation. Um, and as I say, I've had a number of roles at Brunel and I've just got, I've been fortunate and I've gone up the um, the seniority uh, ladder uh, and now find myself in this position. And the thing that's driven me throughout that time is where I really enjoyed the individual adaptations for individuals, I now enjoy the fact that I can make change which impacts much broader range of students, um, can, can really get into those rules and regs and try and change things for students across the board. And I think... Even now, if I can make a change that just makes life easier or better for just one student, then I think I've done a good job. And Julie, your career path is quite different. You've, you've been your, in your academic registrar role at Hertfordshire for nearly four years. You've worked in HE for 16 years, but your career started originally in banking. Can you tell us more about how your skill sets evolved to where you are now? Yeah, it's yeah. My career journey is certainly very different um, to Leslie's and probably quite unique um, in the sector. Um, but I think it does it um, illustrate that it's your skills and experience that you bring to a role rather than sort of time served. Um, and in the same way, I fell into sort of HE administration quite by accident. But it was after I was made redundant um, from Santander after twenty years working in banking. Um, I mean, they took quite a chance on me, um, having no HE experience, um, to be a planning and finance manager of the. Student Services Division, and I was helping run their budget across 14 different departments. Um, the OU is quite a big place, as you can imagine. Um, but I had transferable skills around resource and risk management that I thought could be equally applied to the new setting, um, although yeah, it was quite a culture shock um, coming from financial services. Um, so I did that role for a while, but then I, I did a sideways move. It was a one-year fixed-term contract to backfill the financial support manager as she was moving into a project um, to implement um, the uh, introduction of um, student loan company loans at the OU. So that was quite a big change in 2012. Um, but that role involved managing a team of 50 permanent staff with um, quite an, a sort of similar number of seasonal workers, but also we were managing the um, sort of hardship budgets at the time. Um, so that was an invaluable experience that I gained. Um, and then um, sort of paved the way for me to get a larger role at the University of Hertfordshire, where I not only then managed the financial, the sort of student finance team, but also um, frontline advice, admissions, international student compliance, um, but also things like registration and clearing. So it, so it gave me that uh, larger um, event and team management um, role. Um, and at that point, I was sort of managing around 50% of the um, team that made up academic registry at the time. Um, and then when the previous role holder was promoted in 2020, that put me in a good place to take on the role of academic registrar. So listening to your career path so far, one point that you've got in common is that you've each had the opportunity to work in more than one role at your institution. 
Leslie, first of all, what are your thoughts on internal promotion opportunities versus moving around the sector? That's a really interesting question and something we often speak about when we all get together as a group of academic registrars. Uh, so as I mentioned, that yes, I've had seven different roles at Brunel in my 15 years here. And I've really appreciated that opportunity to have internal promotion. I think that it means that I know the business well. I've worked through the different roles. It gives me really good credibility with the team and it gives me that historical context. Uh, but the flip side of that is that sometimes it's quite hard to shake off that old persona so each time I've moved into a new role, um, trying to make space for the person behind me to leave that subject expertise behind is quite challenging. When I've spoken to, to colleagues who have moved around the sector, uh, what they tell me is that actually it's quite easy to make quick impact. Uh, something that might seem really obvious in whatever institution you're in now could seem really new and uh, sector leading for a different institution that's never come across that before. Uh, so I think that is... A benefit of moving. Um, it's hard to do that in your current job because you've been here for so long. So I guess the only way I try and fill that is by getting intel through my network. And Julie, what are your views on that balance of internal promotion or moving elsewhere? So it's interesting because actually for me, I'm only on my second role at Hearts in the past 10 years, but then I had three years in the six years when I worked at the OU. Um, and actually, I think it was it was genuinely easier to move roles um, at the OU. They offered a lot of short-term secondments um, where they were sort of doing projects. Um, so it made it very easy um, to sort of get additional skills and experience to sort of, um, sort of uh, fill your CV. Um, but again, yeah, we, you know, Leslie and I talk to a lot of people across the sector and, you know, people do move to sort of maybe gain a larger team or to work at a more prestigious or larger institution. Um, and I think it's really interesting that post the pandemic, the, um, the possibilities of doing that have increased because if I think about um, in the past, um, I probably wouldn't have wanted to commute more than an hour from home and I wasn't prepared to uproot the family. So um, that really would have restricted the amount of um, universities I could potentially work for. But now, um, now that we're able to work hybrid and registry um, typically, you know, um, people seem to be quite comfortable with us working um, sort of two to three days a week. It's now possible to look much further afield because a commute that you, you know, there's no way you'd have wanted to do that five days a week. Maybe you'd do it two days a week or three days. Um, so, yes, I think that's really interesting. Um, and again, thinking about sort of getting promoted within your own um employer though I do think in a way it's probably easier to convince your current employer to give you a promotion because you're a known entity you talk their language um, and I'm just sort of reflecting about when um, I was thinking about making that next move I did apply for quite a, a significant number of roles at um, other institutions before I managed to then get this role at Hertfordshire so I think there's pros, pros and cons really. of change happening in the sector, the academic registrar very commonly has to balance the oversight of the operations that you've both talked about alongside institution-wide student journey change projects. So your, your bandwidth to do that must be absolutely vast. How do you go about planning and splitting your time? The role can be really varied. I mean, literally no two days are the same. Um, 
on the one hand, you've got the sort of really operational side, you know, proving um, like replacement um, staff replacements, you know, health and safety obligations. I've got my team is split across four different um, sites. So there's a lot of HR, HR and safety things that I end up doing. I've obviously line managing my own team. Um, and those these sort of more operational things need to be juggled um, with the bigger projects. Um, as mentioned earlier, we, we had a project where we centralised school-based administration. Um, and that was, you know, that was a massive project change project with a number of different strands and took up a huge amount of my time introducing new ways of working assembling new teams as well as the logistical changes of of needing to move people to new locations and of course we were in the middle of the pandemic as well at the time Um, but of course you don't do these things on your own Um, and as academic registrar you're managing very senior managers um, who are you know senior in their own right and experts in their field Um, and of course for larger projects you probably have additional colleagues that you've recruited to help you run the projects um, keep on course um, and then for me personally um, I've got a really good support team who help manage my diary and the running of the department so you know so it's not I'm not doing it all on my own. Leslie how does that bandwidth and switching work for you? I would say that there's probably not anybody who does our roles not in the middle of some large-scale project at one time or another um, for me I'm currently in the middle of one where we're changing the undergraduate provision so we could be more consistent across um, in relation to our module sizes and we're also changing from terms to semesters so it's a fairly big one let's leave it at that um, but actually one of the main reasons I love my job is the variety and the breadth of it uh, I think that every day uh, is different uh, I actually enjoy the switching between projects the switching between conversations but I think it would be remiss to not acknowledge that that can be exhausting and actually that constant turning up to meetings thinking oh what are we talking about now um and keeping on top of everything can be challenging Uh, but if i may Susanna, i wanted to just share a little tip for the listeners um in office 365 there's a functionality called focus time and this is my savior so if you set it up on your uh, system it well, I've got mine set up optimistically for two hours a day. And what uh, Outlook does is that it finds two hours in any day that it blocks it out in between meetings. So you can actually get some work done. Don't always make the two hours, but at least I'm trying. As Julie mentioned a moment ago, you are reliant on team leaders in your departments because the departments are so big and the, and the breadth of what you do is so wide. And listening to what you've said so far, some of those colleagues have professional expertise that you don't have. For example, Leslie, you mentioned that the head of library services reports to you. How do you create that line management relationship with someone who has more expertise than you do? I think firstly, we have to acknowledge that they've got more expertise than we do. Um, As you say, yes, I've got the library uh, into me and it's fair to say I had no knowledge of that as a service before I took responsibility for it. So and my role, as I see it, is to maybe ask questions and try and get colleagues to get to the resolution themselves. So maybe more of a coaching relationship uh, to try and get uh, pick out what the most important things are. But I can't entirely wash my hands of that. It's still my responsibility and I have to understand what the risks are uh, internally and externally. So uh, what the obligations of that team may be. Um, So a a little example I thought I could share is around um, uh, something we have at the moment in the library, which is around our research output support uh, that the library team provide for our academic colleagues. I don't understand necessarily the detail of that or all of the work that my colleagues need to do, but I need to know enough to be able to advocate for the team in the right moment during the meetings when I'm in there with um, senior colleagues. 
And then to also acknowledge if I'm asked a question, I don't know the detail to be able to say I can find out and revert back. I can't be expected to be the expert on everything. Um, but for, for me, I spoke already about enjoying the breadth of my work. I actually really also enjoy some of these new elements. That's what keeps the job new to me. That's what keeps it fresh. So I'm always happy to take on something new and try and expand my knowledge base. There'll be some aspiring academic registrars out there who may be one or two steps away from moving into that role. And I know you run full day development sessions for these colleagues, the Aspiring Academic Registrars programme, as part of the Academic Registrars Council work with the Association of Higher Educational Professionals, formerly the AUA. But for our wider podcast audience, could you give some advice to, say, someone at a junior or middle role who, into the future, may think the academic registrar jobs for them? Yes, of course. And thanks for the plug on our course. We run that a couple of times a year uh, and is actually always a popular one. Um, One of the things that we try and do in that session is to identify skill gaps. And I know we're speaking today about the role of academic registrar, but this would be true for most jobs that you might be aspiring to do. And the advice I would give, uh, we give in that session and I would give to colleagues who speak to me about this would be to maybe look at a job description of a role that you like whether it's the next one you want or a couple on and then just work out what you can do what you can't do and it give you a bit of a map of what uh, skills that you might need to develop or what experience we might need to get one of the great things about working in universities is that there's often opportunities to work outside of your remit i would just encourage people to get involved get be part of a project put yourself forward anything that you can do to help build your experience Julie, what advice would you offer? I think my my big sort of takeaway for people is really to um, really focus on your networking um, because it can really help in making you successful in your current role as, as well as helping you progress to that next level. Um, sadly, it does seem though this is something that people are reticent to do. And I'm not sure if it's our British reserve, but I often hear people sort of saying that they don't either don't have an account or then they're, they're not making the time to keep it up to date um, or they're not um, taking time um, for networking um, and seeing it as a valuable um, tool in its own right and I suppose my yeah, big bit of advice is have a LinkedIn account keep it up to date um, and get involved in sector events where you can um, you know there's quite a lot of different conferences or regional meetings that you could put yourself forward for um, and you can build your network organically that way um, I think my other big piece of advice would be about um, further training and development I, I completed an M- I was lucky enough to complete an MBA while I worked at the OU um, but I would recommend any sort of further study so whether that's formal qualifications um, or just self-directed learning such as LinkedIn learning basically anything that broadens your thinking. So bringing our conversation to a close Julie what does an academic registrar do after they've been an academic registrar? Okay, well, it's interesting because it may be a final sort of career point, um, but colleagues do tend to, as we mentioned earlier, tend to move around. So just because you register at one place might be that you might move and be an academic registrar somewhere else. So we do see quite a bit of movement across the sector. Um, But also they they do move on to other roles. So um, typically either becoming a secretary and registrar or chief operating officer, where the academic registry is just one of the teams that then you would be managing alongside other operational teams. Um, also, an interesting trend, we seem to see a lot of quite a few people that have decided to become an interim academic registrar um, as a lifestyle choice. So they're sort of, you know, sort of hopping off um, sort of a permanent role. And then as a 
potentially heading into retirement um, um, doing these interim roles. So, you know, just sort of uh, plugging a gap for six months um, and then giving them the freedom to have periods of time off uh, in between, which actually sounds quite um, quite interesting, I have to say. Um, the other thing um, we've seen people do, and that is to sort of take up consultancy um, with sector bodies such as Advanced HE or, um, or AHEP. Sounds like there are numerous options to continue the HE pathway. Julie, Leslie, it's been great talking with both of you today. Thank you so much for your time in letting me shadow you. Thank you for listening to Job Shadowing HE. The podcast was written and presented by Susanna Marsden. Audio production and theme music was by me, Rodri Marsden. More information about this podcast and previous episodes can be found at jobshadowinghe.podbean.com.